Hello and welcome to another episode of Asia Bridge, the podcast where we present the best of Asia society programs in 15 minutes or less. I'm Matt Schiavenza. When President Trump and Kim Jong-un gathered in Singapore on Tuesday, the occasion was nothing less than historic. It marked the first ever meeting between a sitting U.S. president and a North Korean leader. Following a four-hour meeting that featured numerous photo opportunities and the signing of a joint communique, President Trump praised Kim as a very talented leader and boasted that North Korea no longer posed a nuclear threat. Some analysts have argued that the summit itself marked a paradigm shift that opened the possibility of warmer ties between the longtime foes. But was Trump's meeting with Kim a victory for the United States? Daniel Russell and Wendy Sherman, two veteran diplomats with experience negotiating with North Korea, argued at Asia Society on Wednesday that the summit was, in fact, a major victory for Kim Jong-un. Wendy Sherman began by explaining why the summit was a disappointing outcome for the United States. What I was surprised about, however, was that the statement that came out of it uh, that was signed by both leaders with much fanfare uh, was very thin. Uh, and indeed, uh, every document previously has been more. So the 1992 joint declaration between North and South Korea called for the end of all facilities, all programs, inspections. Uh, the 2005, September 2005, uh, statement of the six parties in the six party talks called for verified denuclearization. Um, the agreed framework uh, set up in 1994 set up uh, a parallel reciprocal process that included inspections and knowing what the heck you were doing, uh, even though it was only three pages long, in, in considerable detail. So the statement that came out of this was very thin. So my hope that the leaders would have set a framework and then the negotiating teams could go off and do the hard work, uh, I was rather disappointed. Uh, secondly, I was somewhat concerned, uh, though not surprised, the extent to which uh, the orchestration of the event uh, sought to make Kim Jong-un an equal to the President of the mm -hmm. United States. Let's put Donald Trump aside, whether it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama, there is no way in my view that North Korea is the equivalent of the United States of America. Yes, it's another country, uh, horrible uh, country, not one any of us would want to live in, uh, but there were ways you could have orchestrated this that it wasn't quite uh, so uh, giving to a brutal dictator. Uh, who could go home and say, I've been accepted as a nuclear power, I've been accepted as an equal to the President of the United States, I am dominant on the world stage. Uh, and then thirdly, um, although I believe that the focus of any negotiation should be on the nuclear weapons, uh, ballistic missiles, and perhaps chemical and biological weapons, um, I do think it was critical for the President to raise human rights. Uh, when Secretary Albright went to uh, Pyongyang in October of 2000, and that's the trip that I was uh, with her on, and she and I spent 12 hours with Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-il, the father of the current leader. It was, uh, she brought with her uh, Secretary for Human Rights, uh, Labor and Migration, Harold Coe, uh, because she wanted to make a statement that he was a part of our delegation, very important to our way forward with North Korea. And she wasn't going to mess around about that. And Harold, as it turns out, is a Korean-American. Uh, I forget which one, but one of his parents came from the North, one of his parents came mm -hmm. from the South. Uh, so it was a very powerful message. And I think that uh, the president saying 
that those in the labor camps would be the winners, mm -hmm. that this wouldn't have happened except for Otto Warmbier's death, that Kim Jong-un was an honorable, trustworthy man, in my view, are not comments worthy of the President of the United States. And then my last comment, to go back to your initial framing, uh, a friend sent this to me this morning for us all to contemplate. Trump tweeted out the following this morning. Before taking office, people were assuming that we were going to war with North Korea. President Obama said that North Korea was our biggest and most dangerous problem. No longer sleep well tonight. But here's the second quote from Chamberlain in 1939 after returning from Munich. My good friends, for the second time in our history, a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. Go home and get a nice quiet sleep. I don't think this is where we are, but I think we have to be wary that we not be there. Daniel Russell said that President Trump played into Kim Jong-un's hands by agreeing to the summit in the first place. And let's remember that uh, this sense of relief, uh, the endorphins being released <laughs> in the bloodstream because uh, we're not being confronted with the imminent threat of fire and fury, is part of North Korea's business model. Uh, there's a pattern. Now, there's no question that Kim Jong-un is his own man, and he's a, a different breed of cat than his father and his grandfather. His tactics are different. But he's operating from roughly the same playbook, mm -hmm. which is you create a crisis. You raise the threat. You raise tensions. And if you look through the record of 2017, uh, you see that. And what he found in uh, President Trump was an unprecedented American leader who was prepared to see him, raise him at every step. And so we found ourselves uh, in a race to war that felt uncontrollable and felt, frankly, pretty terrorizing. But engendering in, in in that sense of terror in the West is North Korea's business model. It's roughly built around the, say, Gambino family system. <laughs> uh, and there's a reason that people are willing to pay protection money, that they're willing to pay for, to rent a little peace and quiet. The problem is, whether it's in law enforcement or geostrategic uh, challenges, is that the price keeps going up. And while we may feel, and we all feel, a sense of relief uh, that Kim Jong-un went from being a, uh, you know, a, a lunatic and a dangerous madman to being a very honorable guy uh, in a heartbeat and that the risk of war seems to have abated, the fundamentals haven't changed uh, at all, except to the extent that North Korea has gained very significant leverage, significant strategic advantage. The ability to break up the solidarity of the five parties, to separate uh, China from the U.S. to separate Japan, South Korea, the United States, which is what he has done, is immensely important as a strategic matter for North Korea. He is negotiating bilaterally, separately, with each of the five countries and has created a race, a competition, for his favor that is the opposite of the box that he was in uh, just six months ago. So. Yes, we all feel a sense of relief. Yes, jaw jaw is better than more war. But take a step back. Look at it more broadly. Ramping up the tension by North Korea, uh, exploiting, as you point out, the timing of the Olympics, 
by dangling a bit of a olive branch and suggesting, well, maybe I won't blow them up. It was Kim Jong-un in the first place who threatened the Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, creates a dynamic where uh, people will come to his door bringing gifts. Mm -hmm. And President Trump brought to Singapore, you know, the world's biggest candy gram. Uh, this is a bonanza for the North Koreans. Russell added that in addition to strengthening his position in international affairs, Kim emerges from the summit with an enhanced status in North Korea. I think that when you uh, review the outcome of the Singapore summit, which from the North Korean perspective vastly outstripped what must have been even their wildest ambition, uh, Kim Jong-un has to have returned uh, to Pyongyang as a conquering hero. Uh, and look no further than the front page of uh, Nodong Shimun to see just this glorious uh, pastiche of photos of Kim uh, being treated as a peer uh, by the President of the United States, just like Mao was, uh, just like Gorbachev was. Uh, something that his father and even Kim Il-sung lusted after but could never achieve. On top of that, for when you look at the joint statement, uh, vague retrograde language about kind of sort of denuclearization, um, language about the U.S.-North Korean relationship uh, based on absolute equality. Um, talk about a peace arrangement, a peace treaty. And uh, importantly, the agreement to resume the MIA recovery, Remains Recovery uh, program, something that North Korea wants, and particularly the Korean People's Army wants, because it is a huge money maker. Uh, they, let's be clear about it, they sell bones to the U.S. military for millions of dollars. It is not a humanitarian mission. It's a money-making operation for the KPA. Mm. Uh, th this is something that the Army wanted. So when the military leaders uh, look at what uh, Kim Jong-un got in Singapore, not to mention the, the special bonus prize of a unilateral agreement to stop, not just stop U.S. ROK joint defensive exercises, but to stop the provocative war games, which incidentally cost a lot of money. It's breathtaking. Uh, you've got to believe that Kim Jong-un returned to Pyongyang in a vastly stronger position. Thanks for listening to Asia Bridge. If you'd like to hear more, you can visit our show page at asiasociety.org slash podcast. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Asia Society. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>